If you want to have your email read alive, you'll become a sponsor. You'll leave a suitcase full of small unmarked bills behind a locker at the Greyhound station. That's how we do things in Chicago. You know that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. So I, I don't know who's supposed to intro tonight. I Did Sean intro this last episode, or did Jim? Well, to tell you the truth, I lost count myself in all the excitement. But seeing as this is the Pie Factory Podcast and can blow your mind clean out, you got to ask yourself one question. Do I... I, I don't know how to end that one. <sighs> well, I think you just did. Yeah, well, it wasn't the best of my endings, though. Hey, what episode number are, is th- this? 79. 79. Okay, yeah, we're, so we're, 80 is next. We're, this is episode 79, so we are uh, 10 episodes past episode 69. Wow. Yeah. And w- where does the time go? Well, the time keeps on slip, slip, slipping into the future. I was looking into the sea, so hmm. silly me. I just want to fly like an eagle. I'm going to let a big old jet liner carry me. Yes, it's Hack Night on Pie Factory Podcast. Indeed. Yeah. Well, since neither one of us... Oh, did we intro the show? I don't know if we really did. Well, hey, it's episode 79 of High Factory Podcast. High Factory Podcast. Yay! Yay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, once again, from near the Morris operation, the only high-level nuclear waste storage facility in the entire United States, this is Jimmy G. I've used that one before, but oh well. And, uh, let's see, coming from... Um, Shoot, I don't know. What the heck is Well, you're is down the my... coast from the site of the former Zion nuclear power plant, about 20 miles. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Zion's only 20 miles from here? I think it's more than that. Maybe 30. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but uh, uh, it's long let's gone. Let's see. I'm, um, I am uh, talking to you from about uh, three and a half blocks south of the latest uh, racist call the cops on a black person incident. Um, this is Sean. Well, that puts me in a good mood to do a podcast. Doesn't it? Yeah. Woohoo. So I'm all ready to go now so that we got all the the happy stuff at the top of the episode. Between nuclear waste and racism, <laughs> we just covered all of our bases, haven't we? Man, this sounds like a like one of those weird podcasts yeah. where, they, where someone operates it out of a black room and has maps all over the place <laughs> and like... You know, I just had a had an epiphany today, uh, listening to the latest Ooh, episode of uh, Please Stand By, which if you're not listening oh, to... I'm, I didn't hear it yet, because... Uh, all right, this... Okay, this is something that I gotta let out. This happens with every Ferg podcast that I listen to. Every time a podcast that Ferg hosts comes out, it's released, like, as soon as I'm not able to sync it to my iPod. Every single time, because they release this episode right after my lunch break. It's like, ah! I usually just listen to them on Stitcher or, in the case of Please Stand By, on uh, Podcast Addict on my phone. But, hmm. I found that since I switched to Facebook Lite on my phone that uh, my podcast catchers don't crash nearly as much. So there's that. Facebook Lite. You're listening to the Lite Facebook. But I had an epiphany while listening to Please Stand By today. and Do tell. Uh, if I ever decided to do an all-comedy podcast, I think I'm going to name it This Week in Potatoes. Here we go again with This Week. Will you just do a This Week in Potatoes anyway, just to get it out of your system? I don't have any updates on russets this week. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be, if I ever do a pod- comedy podcast, and of course the uh, the band that will do the intro music will be Not Quite Shatner. 
My, oh, really? Um, You're not going to have Scattered Frog do it? Huh? Well, Scattered Frog is kind of your thing. Not quite Shatner is mine. So, That's true. That is true. Even though I don't really have a band and I don't play an instrument, I suppose I could play drums badly. But uh, Oh, kind of like destroying the food. Badly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Courtney destroyed the food. Badly. But, yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah. So, what have you been playing? Oh, man, I was trying to come up with a really um like not no swear gamer friendly like comeback on that but i couldn't think of one uh-huh. i'm just too beat to think of one uh other than the games that uh, we're going to be talking about in uh this morning's episode um not a lot there is one that that i did play a lot of actually and uh it's on the Vectrex. It's a it's a well, it's not a new one, but it's a homebrew that I just got. It is Vector Pilot. I saw your live stream oh, of that. Man. I oh man, it is so awesome. It is like playing a vector version of the arcade game. That's all I can say. That makes me the like, vector version of Time Pilot. That you should say. Yes, but uh, yes. that makes me want to get a Vectrex. That looked really sweet. The only thing that would outsweet that is if the the same uh, author decided to do a uh, vector version of Gyrus. The guy who did this is the same guy who recently did uh, Vector Patrol. Have you played that? No, no, I have not. I'm curious. In fact, when I emailed him to purchase uh, Vector Pilot, I accidentally asked for Vector Patrol instead. And I was like, oh, wait, no, no, no. I mean Vector Pilot, Vector Pilot, Vector. I'll I'll get Vector Patrol eventually, but I'm really in a time pilot mood and I want to play Vector Pilot. And so I did. And uh, the cool thing about, I, I think this is true with all this guy's games. I suddenly forgot his name, but he has multiple overlays available. So uh, you can pick and choose which overlay or overlays you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really happy with the one that I got. Uh, really, seriously, the video that I did, it does not do justice to how cool it really looks. It really doesn't. I kind of, yeah, videos like that generally don't. Well, videos or pictures of anything really don't. I mean, one time I went to, uh, you know, Delicate Arch out in Utah and took pictures of it, but the pictures of it don't, you know, don't. uh, Yeah. Of course, you know, one of the world's most wonderful natural features is equally comparable to, uh, you know, a vector version of Time Pilot. Okay. So, uh, oh, the uh, person who did this, his name is Christoph Toots or Tuts or something. Toots. Let's see. Uh, he's he did Vector Patrol, mm-hmm. uh, Vector Hopper, which is a Cubert clone. Oh, neat! And that's not the only Cubert clone. That's that's a uh, on the Vectrex. Um, on the Vectrex, yeah. Uh, there he did Vectorian, a tribute to mm-hmm. the best arcade shoot 'em ups, oh. Xerion. Oh, that's a oh, that's a game I got to add to the list. Hold on, is it? I've never heard of it until just now. Oh, and in the in development column, Vectress. Really. This is also a famous hit of the 80s, especially with the music section of Bach was outstanding. Also, the 3D effect of the star's background was superb. I am just puzzling how I have to merge the sounds of five AY8 910s into one for the Vectrex. Oh. So far, it looks really cool ooh, in the screenshots. Ooh, 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 ooh. We, should, we should link this in the show notes. Oh, sweet. It's too bad I don't have the money for a Vectrex. I would love that, but... And a lot of that, the, the one thing with uh, with the, with most Vectrex homebrews uh, versus twenty six hundred or seventy eight hundred is a lot of them you can't download to emulate. Uh, yeah, I'm out. finding that to be a problem because I, I I also have the uh, 
Mateos Vectrex 16 and 1 for that purpose, but I'm finding out that these people aren't releasing their ROMs mm-hmm. like uh, like most of the 7800 and 2600 developers do. Which I can sort of understand that yeah. because oh, yeah, yeah. the Vectrex has a much, much smaller install base. So, I mean, totally understandable. I, I, I don't blame them for that, but for, you know, so at some point, I mean, you're just not going to be able to get a working Vectrex and and uh, you're gonna, you're, your games are going to go away. But even given that, though, I mean, even in emulation, uh, a Vectrex really has to be played. But, I mean, if you can't have that, uh, I mean, I mean, really, it's good to play the normal consoles no matter what it is, I mean, over emulation. But well, yeah. that's more so for the Vectrex than any other console, just because of the nature of the display. There's just something about a vector display. And I, I love I love vector games, so... You know, I said this before, how in the original iteration of No Quarter Podcast, mm-hmm. in fact, I think in all iterations, they did uh, No Vector, Yes, in which all the November episodes were about Vector games, and I'd be like, oh, man, because I don't, just thinking about that, Vector games didn't sound fun, yet what are some of my go-to games? Yep. Tempest, uh, Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe, Sometimes Space Duel, Lunar Lander. <laughs> deafening silence and of course what do i have underneath my desk i have a vectrex which is nothing but vector mm-hmm. games and i've been and really since i got the vectrex i've been playing that more than i've been playing other stuff that i have mm-hmm. so i don't know i guess i do like vector games it, armor attack i love armor attack armor attack's fun armor attack rip warrior off. yeah rip off oh, oh that's man, a fun game yeah. what did i rate rip off i know we talked about it I we, gave it a three. About it, right? uh, yeah, yeah, I, to, I must have played it more since then. Because <laughs> I'm... Oh, and uh, speaking of armor attack, and I'll say why, why I say speaking of armor attack, I finally, 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 finally saw Tron, the movie. Finally. Oh? Yep. And your consensus? My consensus? Meaning that I agree with, with yourself? all one people? Yeah, I guess so. Uh it started off interesting, but the ending really kind of made me mad because it's like, wait, because the ending was so freaking abrupt with no real explanation. How so? Kind of like Viva Las Vegas. I I didn't feel that way. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. So, so now suddenly this happens and there's just because it's, there's too much Disney imagination going on. Like, oh, you have to use your imagination. I don't know. I enjoyed it. The whole thing is, uh, is uh, the whole movie is a Christ analogy. If you really dig deep into it, I mean, the programs, the programs, you know, well, I'm not yeah. going to dig into it, but I mean, just, I mean, just watch the movie and think about it yourself. And, yeah, and, and it did explain a lot of things that I didn't understand over the past 30 some years. Mm-hmm. Inclu- I mean, just 10 seconds into the movie, I was like, oh, that's where that comes from. Okay. Yeah. The, the one thing I hated about the movie Tron, uh, in relation to the, the video game or vis-a-vis, I've always wanted to use that, is that uh, the video game had, was based off of an early draft of the script and they included a sequence with grid bugs, which the grid bugs in the movie are only like a brief, like they only mention them briefly and there's no actual scene with the grid bugs. Yeah, and, I noticed uh, and that. And there was a really bad edit right after that. It's like huh. they had to keep that in to keep continuity with the, uh, with the video game. And uh, otherwise, you know, there was no reason to have that little bit in there. That's another thing. When I was watching it, I was like, I mean, not, I'm not necessarily saying this is the, a bad thing, mind you, but I'm thinking this movie was written for the whole purpose of promoting a video game. 
You know, the video games and the movie were developed at the same time. Sure. Kind of like Kroll. Sure. And uh, there was another one. I thought maybe it was just Kroll. I, Must have I, been. I, I don't, don't know. know. I mean, I might, I might watch Tron Legacy just out of curiosity. I just, I might. I have I, that I on know. Blu-ray. And to be perfectly honest, it's a much weaker movie. Um, the special effects are great. I really love the soundtrack. Daft Punk uh, really did a great soundtrack for Tron Legacy. And it has its moments, but, well, some people thought the CG, some of the CGI to make Jeff Bridges look younger looked kind of creepy. I don't really, didn't really think so. But um, the plot was kind of, uh, I don't know. And um, I really don't want to reveal much of it, but, I mean, I'm sure you can find it online. But uh, Yeah, yeah, but, of course. Um, there's a bit of a letdown. Um, uh, after you watch Tron Legacy, watch the CinemaSins episode. That's another YouTube channel I've been watching a lot lately is CinemaSins. Watch the episode for uh, the movie The Room. Uh, he oh, gave geez. the movie like some like two uh, two or three billion sins. <laughs> That's great, uh, but um, and of course because I'm such an idiot, I'm watching Tron, and there's one of the it's the scene when Flynn is talking to his ex coworkers and explaining his whole raison d'être, if you will. He's saying, "I know." That was it, Dillinger, the the, yeah. uh, the evil. Bu- mm-hmm. I know that Dillinger stole the video games I made and put his own name on them. During that scene, I was thinking, God, this is so the Big Lebowski. Not terribly so, but it is there. I didn't realize that was Jeff Bridges until I looked in the. I I, I just kind of did a quick glance at uh, either Wikipedia or IMDb. I was like, Oh, duh. I always liked Tron. It was always one of my favorites, and it was always kind of disappointing to me that it was not out on video for the longest time. But, you know, it is now, and um, Tron is better than Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy isn't terrible, but it's not great. Lower your expectations, uh, but uh, fall in love with the uh, with the soundtrack from Daft Punk. In fact, again, the uh, the guy who does Cinema Sins uh, knocked Five Sins off of the movie uh, just for the Daft Punk soundtrack, and it really is amazing. It really is an amazing soundtrack. So, all right, I'm going to simply uh, nod my head in agreement and say that I completely know what you're talking about about Cinema Sins because I don't. But hey, I think one of our listeners actually offered to send to send me his own copy of Tron. To, he offered to lend it to me. I was like, no, nah, you don't have to do that. I can, and, you know, I, you know, cause I, I don't want someone to go through all that trouble, you know, specs. I get, I, so I went to the library and got it, you know? So you might be wondering what I've been playing. No, I'm not wondering at all. Oh, okay. Well, somebody else might be. And just because of that, I'm going to say that, uh, recently I started listening to the antic podcast again, and I was going back through old episodes and I found one where they actually interviewed the guy who created the game on Azuma's revenge on the Atari eight bit. And, um, and because of that interview, uh, I can't remember which episode that is off the top of my head, but uh, because of that interview, I started playing that a lot recently, and I totally forget what an awesome game that is. But I guess the, I guess the guy was like 16, 15, 16, 17 in that range when he wrote the game and it got bought by Parker Brothers. And instead of uh, licensing the game to Parker Brothers, he um, his dad, uh, who handled all of the, like, the legal stuff uh, for him, got Parker Brothers to agree to a royalty deal. So he's still oh. making money. He still owns the Montezuma's Revenge IP, and he's still making money off of it. And uh, he's actually got it on... Uh, it's also available on cell phones currently. I just recently purchased it in the uh, Google Play Store for $1.99. It was, it's really well done. Um, I'm still trying to get my uh, Bluetooth controller to work with it because, let's face it, you could have the best games 
game possible on a on a handheld device, but uh, touch screens don't substitute for a joystick or a gamepad. They never no, they don't. They no. never will. Maybe a trackball. I can see that, but even that's well, unless the original game used a touch screen, then maybe. Yeah. So yeah, I've been playing a lot of Montezuma's Revenge on my uh, my Atari eight bit, and uh, I was going to hook my uh, ColecoVision. Um, flashback up the other day and play it on there because that's the version that i had but i didn't so uh so yeah i've been playing a lot of that lately and uh, that's really a fun game and uh there was always one screen in montezuma's revenge i couldn't get past there's like a there's a ladder on the bottom and you got a door on the right and then the torch that you need to get into the dark the deeper levels of the uh of 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 the temple is at the upper left, but you got to jump on all of these little platforms, and it just seems like impossible to do. And I think I figured it out, but I stopped playing after that because I realized what time it was and I had to go to bed. So, ah. but, but yeah, Montezuma's Revenge—that's a great game. That's a game that should have been an arcade game. I think maybe we should talk about at some point talk about our favorite uh, uh, Atari Eight Bit slash Fifty Two Hundred games. Wow, that'll be a short episode for me. I'm not. I I just don't know those games. I really don't. Even though I have an Atari 8-bit computer under my desk, I I really haven't played it since I played Mr. Do on it like well over a year ago. And I really need to look into it a lot more. Do you have a like a, a some sort of flash cart for it? Yes, I do. Yes. Oh, you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got. It's, like I've said before, I've got the Uno cart for yeah, my. It's um, not the Uno. It's the SIO two uh, uh, SD compact flash. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got the uh, the Uno cart, and uh, which I really do like. I mean, it's all. Of the, well, I'm not going to go into. I've done that rant before about different file formats and all that, but uh, but yeah, I've been. Um, I found a lot of really fun games there. So yeah, I mean, you could talk about Dreadnought Factor. You liked that? Oh, one. I love Dreadnought Factor. That's yeah. a great game, and it like and it actually works well with the, the uh, 5200 built-in with default controller. Yeah. It's like it was and, built for that controller almost. Yeah, that and Centipede, actually, they both yes. work pretty well with that controller. I'll, I'll agree with you there. So, Providing uh, your controller doesn't break after five minutes like mine always did. And I think with that, uh, probably should go into Addenda and Errata. Maybe. Do we have it? Do we? Do we have it? I don't know. Let's see. We do have a... Um, Possibly errata, I guess. Uh, this comes from uh, Richard Grounds, our one of our latest uh, additions to our Patreon family. Actually, one of our latest. Sec- I mean, yeah, one of our latest. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, Sean and Jim. I think I might have an errata. Well, shouldn't that be an erratum? Actually, oh wait, what's the? Uh, okay, that would be accusative case, so it would be erratum. I think erratum. Uh, Trying to think back is is erratum oh that's a uh, no it'd be erratum because yeah guys it, made a damn mistake because with uh, um, third declension nouns the accusative and nominative cases are the same so I so, forgetfulness and yeah. mistakes uh, from your radio bonus episode wow that's from uh, December that we did mm-hmm. that uh, I believe that uh, was episode. <clears throat> We didn't assign a number. We didn't assign one. a number. It was a bonus episode. It was a bonus. Well, then again, it, it, it was an extra episode. Bonus means good. I don't know that it was necessarily good. It was just an extra episode that we did unscheduled, unplanned, unannounced. So it didn't count as an episode number. But anyway, Richard says, I must say that I really enjoyed the episode. Oh, yes, you must. You must. Um, I've always been fascinated by radio and the inner workings and the stories that people have. Now to the errata. 
at the end of the episode, when you were thanking your Patreon, well, he says Patreon, but I think he means Patreon sponsors. You accidentally made me an honorary Patreon for that episode. Did I do that? I oh. don't recall. Wow. Okay. I think you were shooting from the hip and since PFP and that Pie Factory podcast it is, and the 7800 Homebrew podcast have a lot of crossover sponsors, which they do, by the way, you accidentally mentioned me in that episode. You know, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to mention everybody who does not sponsor us because look what happened. Mentioned Richard Grounds. He didn't sponsor our podcast. Now he does. Hmm. Let's see. So we'd like to thank our Patreon sponsors, including Bill Gates and uh, uh, Jeff Bezos. And uh, Okay, starting uh, with the census, Aaron Aaron of Aaronville, Alaska. And Aaron, whichever Aaron. Kardashian just became an almost billionaire, uh, thank you for your sponsorship. Uh, yeah. You know, if anyone wants to make me a trillionaire, just send me some cash. Let's get the ball rolling. Well, you, I did tell you uh, the um, easiest way to become a millionaire, right? Hmm. Get a million dollars? Well, yeah. But uh, I heard this from Scott at Underground Retrocade, actually. He said the easiest way to uh, become a millionaire is to become a billionaire and open an arcade. Arcade. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> now, let's see. So Richard goes on. He says, I have since, as of last week, become a Patreon of Pie Factory Podcast, and you may have noticed another commercial sponsor to both podcasts that might have a connection to me. <laughs> I really appreciate both shows. Oh, and I really appreciate your sponsorship, Richard. Thank you. Uh, they are fun and informative and enjoyable. Well, I felt that I needed to give back in some way since I rarely find or make time to send feedback. At least I can support the shows monetarily. Well, thank you, uh, Richard. And might we say that Brown we actually Cooper. recorded uh, the episode the day before uh, he <laughs> he we got notice that he uh, he became a patron, and so we we actually um, kind of did a Sean actually did kind of a little quick take adding uh, adding uh, Richard to the uh, editing. To the, to, well, no, no, you didn't do that, though. Actually, that was I did. Oh, well, that's true. You recorded I did that. it. I did that, and uh, Hyde's kind of irked at me for that, but... Oh, well, I mean, what you going to do? Yeah, I just didn't have time to go back and forth. I just wanted to do it quick. I mean, geez, sorry. Yeah, like, he's not union anymore, so nope. he has no reason to complain. Nope. Oh, boy. So, yes, uh, thanks, Richard. Thank uh, we, you, Rich. uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, but we also got another uh, another letter, another email oh. from uh, Eugenio, and uh, this was also uh, a uh, homebrew, um, Atari seventy eight hundred homebrew podcast. Mm-hmm. In fact, I actually uh, had uh, dinner with Eugenio a couple of months ago. Yeah, I've actually had dinner with you, Eugenio. That must be uh, kind of weird to say, you Eugenio. Uh, so, anyway, uh, but this is a, a rather long one. Um, so uh, I think me and Sean will like, do like highlights or something. Well, um, we, we, don't have, we don't have to read every single word. We should definitely identify every one of his points. Hello, Sean and Jim. I've been listening to the podcast Hello. over the past several weeks. Uh, I'm going from newer to older. I did notice you guys not getting mentioned, not getting lots of feedbacks. Feedback. Feedback. So I figured I'd help out by submitting some about several of the games you've covered. Sean. I know you're used to my essays from the 7800 Homebrew Game by Game podcast, so this message should come as no surprise. Jim, welcome to my long feedback messages. Smiley face emoticon. 
Before I start on to the game, but before I start to on the games, actually, is what it says, not on to, to on the games, you did ask in one episode whether Warrior was available for Vectrex. The answer is yes! Yes! The game was not released during the system's commercial life, however. Warrior was released as a homebrew title by Fury Unlimited and included a box and an overlay. The game is no longer available for purchase, but you can get the binary for free on their site, and he has a uh, tiny URL. I, th I think that's a tiny URL uh, link here. Uh, if you have a multi-cart, be sure to give it a spin, and you might actually want to burn it to your multi-cart also. That's just me saying yeah. that. But Now I know one thing I could use my multi-cart with, there you too. Go. And now, without further ado, here is my feedback on the games. <clears throat> Tuck in, kids. It's going to be a ride. Um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I saw this game at my university's game room. I loved how the game looked, the music in it, and how it played, but it sure was a tough game. I did fine in most levels, but the carts in the mine were tough. I was very disappointed really? when I learned, the hard way, that I could die in the level selection screen. Yeah, I remember the first <laughs> time I did that, too. I was like, what the heck? Regardless, awesome. many quarters were spent playing this game. Now when I saw the NES had the title, I was very excited because I couldn't just enjoy the game at home. Imagine my disappointment when I learned the game was different. Definitely one of those same-name, different-game scenarios. Yeah, the NES version of that sucks mm. big time. It is not good. Uh, two, Return of the Jedi. Uh, when I first saw this machine at a distance, I was blown away. I was, I was familiar. I hate when people say familiar. I was familiar with the Vector Star Wars game, so I figured this would be another fantastic Vector game based on ROTJ, Return of the Jedi. When I walked up to the machine and saw it was a raster game, I was sorely disappointed. Despite yep. that, I kept looking <laughs> at the screen to see the action on it and was curious enough to give it a try. But I saw it actually portrayed various scenes from the movie. Four quarters later, I was utterly frustrated, walked away, and didn't bother playing again. The control scheme sucked, the constant switching of scenes got confusing, and I just gave up. Unfortunately, I do not have good memories of this game. Yeah, seriously, like I said before, that turned me off just seeing that it wasn't vector graphics. Yeah, same here, but I had to play it, because you never know, it could have been a good game, but it wasn't. <clears throat> uh, I'll do this, this next one here, too. Uh, Super Pac-Man. This one I first played in the arcade at the local mall in my hometown in Puerto Rico. I remember seeing the machine looking at the gameplay and how different it was. I, I was about to play, and in comes my oldest cousin, puts a quarter, and starts a play. She had clearly played it quite a few times already and knew how to get around the game. I decided to give it a try after she finished and had a blast playing it. I thought it was cool that the game was different, and I found it easier to play than the original Pac-Man. This one ate quite a few of my quarters back then. Of course, I now play this on both my 5200 and 7800. Both are excellent ports and pretty arcade accurate. The 5200 version is a prototype that Atari never released, uh, despite the game being complete. Not sure why the Tremils decided not to sell this one. The 7800 version was, of course, made by Bob D. Crescenzo and is available in the Atari Age store. You want to take the next three? Sure, okay. Uh, we, we should respond, of course, but... Uh... Yeah, it, it, it is very, the 7800 version is very arcade. Um, it's fun. Like, uh, I did notice there were a couple of small things that it doesn't do that the arcade version does. Like, for example, I think on the 7800 version, if you eat a monster and the eyes are still going around the maze and you eat another energizer, the monster doesn't regenerate right away. The, the monster never regenerates until he goes into the box, but the arcade version, the eyes will regenerate into a monster if you, if you eat an energizer, but Hey, who cares about that? Let's see what else, uh, Eugenio says for, has to say, I can't talk turbo. I will admit that I never played this in the arcade. Um, back then 
I've also seldom seen any of these machines at even at even at events like Free Play Florida or Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Not sure why that is. The game certainly looks cool, even though it doesn't have the gameplay of pole position. It is still fun. I do have the completed prototype for the 2600, which is not a bad adaptation given the system's limitations. I know the original prototype gets a lot of hate, but that's unfinished. The enhanced version is still available on Atari Age. Gorgeous packaging. Looks like something that would have been released by Coleco back then. Uh, that last sentiment might turn people off, actually. Because <laughs> there's not a lot of love for Coleco's Atari 2600 games. But uh, it, I, it, I, it still really re- I still reject the, the, the theory that Coleco purposely crippled the 2600 games. Or 2600 adaptations. Yeah, that's it's just ridiculous. I, I think that's a bunch of BS, personally. Yeah, especially since uh, was it Gary Kitchen who did Donkey Kong? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't even a, a Coleco employee. He was yeah. just an outside mm-hmm. contractor. He wouldn't have had reason to uh, do that unless and, they and specific. Plus, that, I mean, well, I'm not even going to offer that possibility. I, I would argue that maybe their two highest profile releases on the 2600 Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Junior were terrible. But uh, Carnival's decent. Uh, Mousetrap is really good. Carn- I actually do like Carnival. It's missing some things, yeah. but Mousetrap still, is really good. Enjoyable. The way that they did got they uh, they worked the uh, the control scheme from the arcade yeah. into it yeah. was was genius. And some of the later prototypes that we found for it, like uh, Looping and uh, Cabbage Patch Kids Adventure in the Park, were even though they were never released, the prototypes are amazing. You need to take a look at those if you haven't seen them. Those are really amazing prototypes, especially the Cabbage Patch one. Game's hard as hell, but anyway. But anyway, uh, continue. Tutankham, or as my brother would call it, Tutankham. Actually, a lot of people call it that. First heard of this game by seeing ads for it in gaming magazines about the home versions. Didn't buy the 2600 version, so I didn't really try it until years later. Though I've seen the arcade, I haven't felt too much like giving it a try. Not sure why. The arcade version does look pretty nice. I did recently. Recently? I did recently <laughs> purchase the Atari 8 bit clone of this game, King Tut's Tomb. Not had a chance to play it yet, but I will be giving it a spin soon. Uh, not sure if you guys are familiar with that version. It plays slower than the arcade version, but looks like a pretty good clone. The other version I should try is the Intellivision version. Or as I like to say, Intelliversion. Yeah, we've, uh, we did mention it briefly. You're much more familiar with it than I am. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I Did you say never... familiar? Uh, no, um, I'm not Andy Ryerson. I don't okay. say familiar. All right. That must I be leave that to him. I think he trademarked that, actually. I think he, <laughs> like, if we were to say familiar, we'd have to pay him. Stay familiarly classic. Let's see. Wizard of War. Ah, yes. The wonderful Wizard of War. Ah, yes. Remember that cousin I mentioned before? Wait, what cousin? The, the one with, uh, with uh, Super Pac-Man. I think you're lying. But anyway, uh, let's see. Well, she and I spent many quarters trying to beat the wizard. I remember jokingly singing, we're off to kill the wizard, the wonderful wizard of war. Why the hell didn't we think of that? I see what he did there. Oh, gosh. We We uh. did spend a lot of time playing cooperatively until one of us, can't remember who it was, accidentally shot the other one. Yeah, accidentally. I love that sound effect. (laughs) Well, that sure changed the dynamics while playing. I did get the 2600 version back then, but I now also have the 5200 version, which has become my go-to home version. Now, excuse me for for a moment. I'm off to kill the wizard. Follow the dark blue maze. Follow the dark blue maze. Follow, 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 follow the dark blue maze. Akari Warriors. Don't shoot me, but I've never played the arcade version of Akari Warriors. My experience with the game comes from playing it on the 7800. Woohoo! And we'll say that I find this game to be a blast. I've watched videos of the arcade version and was impressed at how well the game was converted to the 7800. The only thing that will make the game better is a pokey chip. Agree. 
need to look this game up at PRGE or FPF so I can play the arcade original. But they also have it at Underground Retrocade, by the way. I wonder how much practicing on the 7800 will help me play the arcade. You know, I've never played the 7800 version. Really? I don't have it. Yeah, I don't have it. Well, you've got yeah, a, I could put it on my Mateos. I was going to say, cart, put it on your Mateos. I mean, I've, I've. I'm not a fan of the game, so I, why would I? It's fun. That's why. It's especially fun with two players. You know, and it, the controls a lot better because you don't have the, the joystick, the rotating joystick thing like you have in the arcade. You know, it's a shame they couldn't do that with the pain line because the the actual stick part of the pain line does rotate. It's too bad they couldn't put some kind of electronics in that. That would have been nice. I remember when I first uh, my, when I first owned a fifty two hundred, and uh, the, the one I had came packaged with uh, Super Breakout, and I thought that the uh, the actual handle on it spins even though it doesn't do anything. And I thought there was a paddle in there, and so when I first plugged in Super Breakout, I was turning that thing, hoping the paddle would move, and like, oh, you control it like a joystick. So hmm. yeah, so I'll do the next couple. All right. Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. This was released when I was hardly spending any time in the arcades, thanks to medical school, so I missed that version of the game back then. Many years later, I decided to get a Sega Genesis, and with it, a copy of Moonwalker. Of course, I did not know that the version I got was not like the arcade version. Despite that, I have enjoyed playing it time after time. It is a game about MJ, and it has MJ's music. What's not to like? Well, I suppose for those who don't like beat-em-ups, a game like this may not be appealing, but I like to think of it more as a beat it, a beat it up. Oh, I see what you yeah, did there. I see. Um, ever since I learned that the arcade dish version was different, I've been trying to find a machine to play it. Unfortunately, I've not been able to yet. I like the idea that it is different, but at the same time, I wonder why Sega chose to make different versions of the game for the arcade and their home systems, which is a good question. Eugenio, next time you're in Chicago, come up to uh, Replay Andersonville. They have Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. Moonwalker. Th- uh, they have it at the Ghost, and do they have it at Retrocade? Oh. I don't think so. I don't so. think they do. Um, Gravatar. Any, th- then oh. again, they're they're like Scott adds games by surprise a lot. So True. maybe the time where this episode is released, maybe he will have it. I don't know. Uh, Gravatar. If I ever want to play a tough game, this is the one I go to. Boy, is this one tough game. Despite that, it is still a game you want to keep playing. I I would agree. I have played this on the arcade vector machine, which looks totally awesome, but most of my experience with the game comes from the 2600 version. That 2600 version may be all filled up, but it certainly captures the gameplay of the arcade quite well. Atari really did a great job adapting the game, whether we're talking of standard gravity or reverse gravity. I do agree that this version is a little easier to play than the arcade, though. Spent quite a bit of time at FPF last year playing the arcade version, but I'm still not very good at it. I don't know of very many people that are. Regardless, I intend to keep trying again this year at FPF if there is a Gravatar machine there. By the way, I also spent time playing Black Widow, which I did not know was a modified Gravatar machine. And I'll do Battlezone, and then you can finish out the end of this here. Uh, Battlezone. This one I definitely played in the arcade back in the day. I guess that's okay to say now. Yeah, and it, I, yeah it's and okay. And I will now. play anytime I see it at an arcade or event. Battlezone is a really cool tank simulation. And I can see why the military wanted it adapted for training. You do have to think of it as an immersive game where enemies are everywhere and can attack you even if you can't see them because they are behind you. I realize this can be frustrating, but it's what makes the game great for me. I, of course, bought the 2600 version when it was released and had plenty of fun with it. I honestly did not care that it looked nothing like the arcade as I really liked all the color on the screen. Atari really did a great job adapting the game and capturing the gameplay of the arcade. When I bought an Atari 5200, I also bought that version of the game and really enjoyed that it tried to emulate the vector graphics, but wondered why they chose to draw regular mountains in the background. 
Maybe I should get the 8-bit version of the game for my XEGS. That version just emulates the vector graphics. Of course, I want to, if I want to play a true vector version, I can now enjoy the newly released game for the Vectrex called Star Mash Zone. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And he has the link to that. I thought that All right, the so far that's three that's three show notes links that are going to be Vectrex related. Yeah. Uh, I thought that uh, the XE and the fifty two hundred versions of Stramash Zone, not Starmash Zones. What was zone. it? St- Stramash Zone. Stramash. Oh, you're right. Stramash. It wasn't zone. a typo. Okay. So yeah, I think the XE and the fifty two hundred. I thought they were the same. I do know this that uh, they're both prototypes, and the uh, since the machines don't have any scaling, the graphics are clunky as hell. And uh, they, they, I've played them. They really don't play very good, personal opinion there. Uh, I would stick with the 2600 version, and I uh, have fun with it. So that's my opinion. Oh, is it now? Well, could be your opinion, too. Well, hey, uh, let's see. Um, Eugenio talks about Bosconian. I remember walking past people playing Bosconian at the arcade in the local mall and hearing the machine talk. All right, this is, I don't think I mentioned this in the Bosconian episode, but I never heard of Bosconian until I heard No Quarter talk about it. Uh, anyway, um, he goes on to say, the one phrase that I was never able to figure out, that is until years later, was, a lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. I honestly wasn't sure if the voice was saying, a lie, a lie, or a light, a light. My ears didn't have the polish at understanding English that I have now, but I swear, even today, that is still what I hear. Whoever recorded the alert, alert warning must have had an accent that my ears failed to understand even today. Back then, I just figured that whatever was being said could not be either word or phrase I heard because neither made any sense in the context of the game. Of course, I did play the game back then, wondering what the words were, and had a lot of fun playing it. Unfortunately, I did not get to enjoy Bosconian again in an arcade for many years, as I did not see a machine in any of the arcades I later visited. Then, of course, came the wonderful clone of the game for the Atari 2600, Draconian. What an impressive version of this game. It even has the digitized voice with the same darned accent. Uh, Definitely the version I play most today, since I have it right at home. And this is one thing I have to say. Uh, I found somehow that Draconian has the exact same voice samples that are in Bosconian. It's uh-huh. not recreated. They're the real thing. And it's, I think it's actually easier to understand on the 2600 really? somehow. I'm going to have to play that one. Like it actually does say like he's sounding alert, alert. Unfortunately, it takes a little bit of the Elmer Fudd out of the voice too. I think it actually sounds like he's saying condition red. Oh, it's so wild. Condition red. But Hey, I have uh, a on pat- oh, never mind. Anywho, uh, number 12, Juno First. It might not point out the irony of Juno First being last on his list. I was just thinking that. Juno First, here's another title that I never saw in in an arcade. Neither the arcade at the mall nor nor the arcade at the university had this game. Oh, interjection from Sean here. This is another game I never heard of until No Quarter. Um, Anyway, my first experience with Juno First came from the 2600 port years later. I didn't even know it was an arcade port when I first played it either. I found out this was an arcade port sometime later, and to this day, I've yet to see an arcade machine for this game anywhere. Uh, they have one at Galloping Ghost. Next time you're in Chicago, head over to Brookfield. That really baffles me because this is one fun game that should be added to the list for events like PRGE. So even though my experience is only with the 2600 port, I will definitely say that I love this game. 
It does remind me of Beam Rider, but the action is a bit different as you're not stuck to a grid yep. in the same way. Lots of enemies, fast-paced action, and plenty of fun definitely can be had with Juno first. What more is there to say? And yeah, I agree, I can't really say much more. That's, a, that's an awesome game. That is a fun one. All right. Uh, and uh, ends with the usual thing that we get from a lot of people. Thanks for doing the podcast. Uh, keep up the good work. Well, thank you I so much. I hope you much. survived uh, this lengthy message and my jokes. Yeah. What jokes? That's irony there. <clears throat> wow. Good to hear from you, Henio. Yeah. Thank you for uh, for writing us. We were getting yeah, lonely. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you took the time to write that. We figured we'd take the time to respond. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also it, it did be, it did help me bring up a couple of points I forgot to bring up before pressing points, if you will. Uh oh. Oh, which I did in the previous episode. Uh, and man, every time I'm on my bike too, I think of more to add to that list, but I don't want to keep revisiting that episode. But <laughs> one thing I do want to revisit from the previous episode, though. Yeah. In fact, this is going to require that I go onto Facebook Live Uh-oh. right now. So here we go. I said go live in three, two, one, bam. And I am now live. So people who are watching Facebook right now can see me. Um, they might not be able to hear me as well as it is on the podcast because due to audio issues, I have the audio going from the computer's built-in microphone as opposed to this special microphone I use for the podcast. But uh, anyway... Um, I'm going to taste test another Lester's Fixins drink. This one is bacon soda with chocolate. And once again, it is artificial. I thought this was going to be real liquid bacon. Oh, shucks. Why don't you try it with that little duck that you got on your shelf there in the background? With the little duck that I... Ah, what little duck did I have on the shelf? Right there behind you to your right. Behind me to my right? It looks like a duck. Uh, on your shelf there. What the hell are you talking about? It's like a little yellow duck. Right next to the cage. Don't you see where I'm pointing? No. (laughs) No, I don't see where you're pointing. Like a little duck or something there. Like a beanie baby or something. Oh, now your screen went all goofy on me. Good. Well, man, you've been snorting too much of those wheat thins. But anyway, here at this time, it's, uh, I already said what it is, so here's what it's going to be like. Okay, this is actually pretty good. Actually is. Uh, I definitely taste the chocolate. I don't taste the bacon, though. I taste another flavor, but I can't quite identify it. Vomit? No. Hmm. Let me try again. It's something bitey. I call the big one bitey. I was at first thinking cilantro, but no, it's not cilantro that it tastes like. But it definitely does not taste like bacon. Man, why did your video go all nutso? Okay, I don't know what else this tastes like. It's good. I don't like it quite as much as I like the bacon and maple stuff. That one was really, really good. This one, definitely drinkable. I'm enjoying it. I have no regrets spending money for this. But um, there we go. I like the uh, maple better than the chocolate. Next episode, I don't know what I'm going to do. I bought some buffalo wing soda and sweet corn soda. So... Hmm. I, I, I suggest know. go to the uh, go to the sweet corn one for the next episode because that stuff's sweet really corn? terrible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the buffalo wing one is actually very tolerable. Oh, and um, by the way, um, 
Brad Jones, the cinema snob, is uh, announced that he's going to do another cinema snob movie. Yes, a second cinema snob movie. And so he had, uh, was it last weekend, weekend before, he had a, a 12-hour live stream in which he drank a bottle of the uh, the mustard soda uh, that oh, I had drank. Lovely. And uh, he actually thought it was decent, which I don't huh. know. What the heck was going you know, on? I oh, really want Brad to try Sheraton, that. By the way, Brad Sheraton is just reporting now that his screen is looking like one of those 3D pictures where you squint and the image pops up. Oh, kind of awesome. what I'm seeing, too. Awesome. So something on your side is all messed up there, Jack. It's pro- well, it's probably because I'm trying to do video while also streaming audio to uh-huh. you. So that's probably what it is. But hey, and also another reason I'm doing this is just to provide proof that, yes, we actually are recording an episode. Woohoo! Woohoo! And, and the reason yeah, I don't have- I really do... I really do want to try that mustard <laughs> stuff. I really do. But oh. the thing is, like the store where I get this, they don't have it. They have the they have some of the Melba's fixes, but they don't have the mustard. I have to see. There's a candy store in town here that sells that stuff. I'm gonna have to Blue see what cheese? they got. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Whoa! The picture just uh, kind of hmm. came back, sort of. Oh, and now it's degrading again. Oh, okay. Now I see the duck you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's on one of my wife's crafty shelves. So. Ah, okay. All right, you know what? So I'm going to end, uh, as Ron Alpert says, uh, the Artifact podcast, and I uh, go back to our recording. So uh, bye. Oh, bye-bye. And let's see, end live video. And you know what? It occurs to me that nobody could hear me uh, on the live video feed uh, right there. So that's always fun. Oh, yeah. <sighs> okay, so there. Anyway, you know what? It's been this long into the podcast. We should probably done talk about some video game stuff. We should probably done talk about some game. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you're right. Good. Yeah. So, what do you want to talk about first? Uh, well, let's see. There were two uh, games that we decided on. Um, I actually want to go with Liberator first. Oh, you do, huh? <laughs> Excuse me. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Let's go with that. Um, huh, Lester's fixes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Liberator. Huzzah. Liberator. Um, Huzzah. Oh, dude. Okay. I'm watching the playback of the video and it looks kind of, it looks almost like a uh, magic eye image. No. Well, yeah, I can kind of see that, but it also looks kind of like part of a Peter Gabriel video. <laughs> Which uh, interesting. One of my, uh, one of my favorite, uh, YouTubers Leo Moriccioli uh, at Frog Leap Studios did a metal version of Sledgehammer just two weeks ago. Uh-huh. So it's very, very amazing, and so Zerb hey, likes it. Why don't you tell us about uh, Liberator? Well, Liberator is a copyright 1982 from Atari. And the control panel has uh, consists of a trackball. you got your trackball, you got a fire button, and your shield button. Uh, the game kind of plays like a reverse missile command. And, uh, oh yeah, it's the only arcade game from Atari that uh, actually is a tie-in to the Atari Force comics. Um, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, the marquee actually says champion. Atari Force on it. Um, you know what we haven't done in a while is we have not done... I haven't done one of my dramatic readings. Now, if you give me just a one oh. moment here. Yeah, that it. is true. Yeah, and I think we could probably do that here if I can find... Um, here it is. <clears throat> From the... the uh, this the the attract mode of this game. <clears throat> Join the Atari Force in Liberator. The galaxy has been invaded by the evil Malagalon army. Commander Champion of the Atari Force 
has chosen you to become the Liberator. The people of the universe are depending on you to free them from their evil masters. Copyright 1982 Atari. So, yeah, that was kind of a brief, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. That was a brief uh, dramatic reading. Haven't done one of those in a while, but uh, that's the best I could uh, muster for this one. Uh, but yes, Liberator, um, your control panel consists of your, jo- your, uh, your, your track ball, your fire button, and your shield button. And uh, the gameplay is, like I was saying, it's a reverse of uh, Missile Command. And what that entails is that... You're actually attacking cities? Uh, actually, yes, um, so to speak. Uh, there's a big, huge planet in the middle of the screen with little red or, at later levels, white like uh, rectangles on there, which are... Missile bases, which are trying to attack your four ships, which you have, which are in the corners of the screen. And what you're supposed to do is these missile bases will shoot off various different weapons, mostly uh, mostly missiles uh, aiming towards your uh, your ships. And uh, you got to destroy those uh, before they hit your ships. And you have to destroy all of the missile bases on the planet. And the planet rotates, and so do the missile bases. They can go from left to right or from right to left at different speeds. And um, later on in the game, if you get very far, like 24th, 25th level or so, uh, some of the red missile bases will be white, in which case if you uh, if it senses your uh, cross... or you move a crosshair around the screen, kind of like, um, like Missile Command, and if uh, it senses your crosshair near the white missile base, it will either speed up the planet or reverse the planet. Uh, you know, kind of doing the uh, the Superman the thing. Superman, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's actually kind of cool. But um, it's, it's really neat because in Missile Command, the missiles were kind of straight, but they went from one point and they were like at a straight angle. They didn't like curve or anything. They might split into more missiles later on. In this game, they actually have curves. Like if... A missile base is, like, right on the edge of the planet as it's, like, rotating. Uh, it actually kind of, like, follows physics because it looks like it shoots the missile straight up and then it curves, like, look like it's going around the planet toward toward one of your ships, which is, like, really cool. This, uh, as I said before, this game has one fire button and the game automatically uh, fires your a laser from one of your ships uh, from the closest spaceship. And once it reaches that point, it uh, does an explosion again, like Missile Command. And uh, you also have a shield button, and you get four uses of the shield, uh, four successful uses of the shield per level. So um, if you get, like, if a missile's coming toward you, you hit the shield button, it'll show, like, four, like, arcs around your, uh, all four of your um, spaceships. And if it hits, uh, if it successfully hits a missile, then it'll show you three, you know, showing that you've got three left. But if it doesn't hit one, you still have that one available to you. So that's uh, kind of neat, because uh, this game can get really hairy later on. Now, of course, at top of the screen, you've got your uh, your score and your number of, uh, of ships in reserve. If you lose a ship, it'll just pluck one out of there and put it there. Uh, by default, the game is set to 20,000 points per additional ship. And at the bottom of the screen, it'll tell you how many more missile bases are left on the planet, because you can't, again, the planet rotates, so and so do the uh, the missile bases, so you can't destroy them all one go. You're going to have to wait a little for them to come back around. Oh, I did forget to mention that um, there's different, um, what do they call it? Um, Melon ballers? Star systems. <laughs> different star systems. And before you go into a star system, you actually have kind of like a dogfight sequence in space against uh, enemy uh, spacecraft. And uh, you have to destroy those before they wipe out any of your ships. Uh, the shields do not work in that screen. It seems to me that that screen comes up every 
third to fifth level, depending on how far in the game you are. So you will have to go through that. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a little variety in the game. Okay, now some of the missiles will, uh, when destroyed, and these are the ones that the trail a missile normally makes is like an orangish color, but the red ones, if you destroy it, will actually create four particles that uh, try to head toward one, uh, toward one of your spaceships, and you have to shoot all those down as well. There are, later in the game, UFOs, which will fly around the screen, and if it turns big, it will, uh, near one of your ships, it will shoot a laser beam, a wide beam, toward one of your ships that will destroy it, and you can't shoot the laser beam down, and you cannot use your shield against it. You're basically dead, so try to destroy those as fast as possible. I did re find out, though, if you've destroyed all of the missile bases... You still have to destroy everything on the screen before the round is over, with the exception of the UFOs. So, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. You have other um, things here that will happen. Uh, sometimes the missile bases will take off into the form of a satellite, so you can uh, you have to destroy those. And there are in the game fireballs, which require four hits to destroy, and each time you shoot it, it slows down. Now, later on in the game... Uh, it comes out with uh, star balls. That was my nickname in college. Ba ba ba. So um, yeah, uh, star ball works kind of the opposite of the fireball. It takes four hit. Those also take four hits to destroy, but it gets faster with each time you hit it. And uh, the point values are um, any spaceship fifty points, missile base hundred points, satellite twenty points, killer saucer one hundred fifty, Merv, not Merv Griffin, but those are the actual little. From the missiles that uh, are uh, that you know try to kill you, uh, those are the little particles. Those are ten points each. Fireballs are twenty, and star balls are twenty. And uh, yeah, there's uh, also a um, thing in here where you can actually skip levels at the beginning of the game. When uh, when you start a game, if you wanted to go to a higher level, it does have a feature where you can go uh, play at a higher game level, um, up to level 22. Um, you can start like at, one, at level 1, and then 3, and then every third level up to 22. And to do that, you hold fire and press the start button when you uh, start the game, and then you can select the uh, what level you want. At the end of each level, you get bonus points. Okay. I do? Yeah, well, not you, but everyone else does. <laughs> uh, so, um, oh. you know, after all the, ba the missile bases are destroyed, the player's the remaining spaceships of the player fly to the planet, and they get 100 bonus points for each remaining ship, and it's based on your levels. Like, a level 100 bonus points uh, on level 1, 200 level 2, 300 on level 3, and so on. And after level 7, the bonus is 800 each level thereafter. So, there you go. And uh, that is it. That is, that's really the basic gameplay. Uh, every now and then, uh, uh, Commander, I think his name in the comics was Ace Champion. Ace Champion will come in and like say a little message. Uh, he does that at the beginning and then uh, a little bit more later on. But, uh, you yeah, know, that's, that's really basically the game. A um, little uh, background on the Atari Force comics. Those were actually as a started as a pack-in with uh, some Atari 2600 games. Like, uh, I remember Defender... Star Raiders, I believe, was one, and uh, there was another one. I can't recall what it was off the top of my head. Uh, it was later turned into a DC, uh, a recurring uh, DC comic series, and 
then this, again, this game is the only arcade game that was an actual tie-in to it. I don't know if this game really is kind of a sequel to Missile Command, but you can sort of see it being... Uh, it. I, I consider it a sequel, and I guess a lot of people do. So uh, I guess it depends on your perspective. It doesn't say Missile Command anywhere in it, but... It certainly it seems absolutely like absolutely has that vibe. It right. really does. Like say like you could win Missile Command, this would be kind of like chapter 2 in the story. You know. Yeah. Uh, like now you're taking the uh, taking the war to them. So, I consider it a sequel. I don't really think it is officially a sequel, but I consider it one. And, you know, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm that's what I'm stick with. So So yeah, there we go. Um yeah. one thing I have to say about this game is uh the graph, okay. The graphics in this game are really amazing. The, uh, the 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 rotation of the planet and what the planets look like that is really some really cool looking stuff. I have to it say, it is. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, the, the spaceships in the corners could have probably used some work because I didn't really think that those were compared to the rest of the game. I think they could have done a little bit better job on that. But uh, the rotation of the planet and how the missile bases stay in the same place and go around and around. In some games, once something reaches like the edge like that, you expect it to appear on the other end, you know, almost immediately and come back around. But this actually uses, has a, ha, times how much time it would take to go around the planet. And um, the planet surfaces are just amazing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of kind of like a, a fractals in a way. I don't think these are fractals, but uh, the planets do kind of evoke that, though. So yeah, that's uh, that's this game in general. So, uh, what do you have to say about the game, Sean? Not much, really. Oh well, I mean, seriously, not much because I, huh, I'm just gonna cut to the chase and I'm gonna give it my rating. Out of five continues, I give it two continues. Really? Two continues. It, it's a good looking game, but man, I found it pretty freaking impossible to play. Huh? Because you know, it gives you the advice, and it's like focus your attention on the planet instead. It's like, yeah, I do that. And meanwhile, things that aren't on the planet are destroying my shooty thingies. Your shooty thingies, and that's what they're called in the manual, actually. Shooty yeah, thingies. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You did mention that the manual is pretty rich with uh, some information, and that's one of those things I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it just seemed, I, it seems impossible to get beyond level five, which is pretty early in the game but the thing it, with this the thing and with, i have oh. to believe that thing about how you get a bonus life at twenty thousand points is that take their word for it i did play this game as i generally do with uh, with cheats on uh for a little bit and um after you get past the fifth game it is really easy to or the fifth level it really is easy to uh, to rack up uh, a bunch of free lives but i you know even though we haven't talked about high scores or anything yet i'll give this uh Give this my uh, my rating. First of all, I did play it for the very first time at the Aladdin's Castle at the Lincoln Louis jo- Mall, the Louis Joliet Mall, ah. and uh, I fell in I was, love with this I was game ever for a since. Ball there. I fell in love with this game, and I've really liked this one. Um, but yeah, it was not a very popular game. In fact, some of the resources that I've uh, used said that they didn't sell really much more than seven hundred uh, units of this game, which is understandable but disappointing. But um, yeah, I, I like this game. I uh, I like the twists on uh, Missile Command. Uh, I, I give this game a four. So uh, I, mean, I do like the whole idea. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a fine plot. You just think it's a little too hard. <laughs> it's impossible. It really is. I don't know. I think the, the I think one of the things is and by the way, using I've never the played the arcade version before. So I, you haven't. Aware of you first. Nope. 
Even oh. when I've been to been to the Ghost, I didn't play it there. I, really? I played it in Mame, and yeah, well, I was playing it in Mame somewhat, and uh, a mouse is no substitute for a trackball. What about a trackpad? I don't know and about that. And by the way, I did use a trackball as well. Ah, uh, okay. Still sucked. But uh, you know, and I just was. And you know what? I'll tell you what. Hmm. Liberator kind of reminds me of Love Cushions. What the fuck is that one game? Uh, Rampart. It just has that vibe and that like you have to like have like so many. There's so many things going on on the screen at the same time. And if you miss a single one of them, you're toast. I can sort of see that a little bit. Oh, man, I want some toast now. Mm, Toast. Yeah, I guess I could sort of see that, but. I don't know. I, I I really like this game. It's a it's a visually stunning game, and I think the uh, it plays fine. Uh, it did feel like the whole Atari Force thing was kind of uh, tacked onto it. Didn't need yeah. that because it didn't really yeah. play a part in the game itself. I mean, it would. I mean, if you're going to do a game based on Atari Force, I expect something where you're actually playing as one of the characters. And yes, that was that's kind of a a letdown. But let's be honest, Atari Force wasn't. It wasn't that great, so I never actually read those things. I read a couple of the pack-ins, but yeah. I have them, but I've never read them. Yeah, they're. I mean, it is what it is. So, but so yeah, that's kind of my opinion of the game. So, uh, well, why don't we talk about some scores? Yeah, why don't we? Um, let's see, uh, Orcade dot com, which is currently owned by the Galloping Ghost Arcade, but regardless, Orcade dot com shows their highest score as 1,368,150 performed by Jason Cram on June 5th, 2011 at Fun Spot during 13th Annual Classics Championships. And the Twin Galaxies scoreboard has David Drake is holding the highest score record there with 14,232,130 points verified October 1st, 1983 via referee. So somebody actually watched David Drake play that. Must have. Wonder how long it would take to do that though. Fourteen million on uh, Liberator. And just paging through the uh, the operation manual manual here. Be sure to refer to the book, a guide to electronic game operation and servicing, published by Atari Incorporated. Whenever you need help with the techniques, tools, and terminology associated with coin-operated electronic games. At any rate, I did find the uh, the the book. <laughs> that's a that's a great name. The book, a guide to electronic game operation and servicing, actually on archive.org. And uh they got it totally uh totally up here and uh holy shit, this thing is uh, uh part of my french. Uh very very mad. This is very very thorough. It's got soldering techniques and everything in here. Soldering techniques? Fought for a fuck attack. They got what soldering techniques? There was soldering. You put the soldering iron there. You put the cutting traces using modification wire. Oh well. Game repair and wow, this is amazing. I might have to download this. In fact, I'll click that little downloading. Oh, that's an upload button. I don't want to upload. Should we download. link it in the show notes? We can link it in the show notes. And apparently, you can also get this off of Amazon, but I don't know the uh, prices. This would actually be a book I'd love to have, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, this looks pretty cool. I'm going to bookmark this. There's got to be a way to download this. So, yeah, that's uh, that's Liberator, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting so fascinated with this other book that I'm, like, uh, like totally forgetting to uh, 
know, talk about the uh, the game. So, well, talk about the damn game, will you? Yeah. So I I pretty much said everything I have to. I, I love this oh. game. It's got a soft spot in my heart. Um, I was actually going to rate it a three originally until I played it a little bit more tonight, and then I'm like, yeah, I gotta rate this a five or I mean a four, and uh, that's uh, pretty much all there is to it. And that's what I did. That's what you done. Did that's now. what I done did. So I guess we need to move on to um, another game per apps. Uh-huh. And again, I'm going to uh, mute you for a little bit and put the fan on because even though it's nice outside, it is sweltering hot up here. So, uh, yeah. So there you well, go. Have at it, well, bud. Well, anywho, the game that I wish to discuss tonight, even though earlier I said it was this morning, but you see that's how many hours passed during the recording process. This game is Millipede, which you will have seen on the title of the podcast. Huzzah! Anyway, and Huzzah Millipede, which was released in November of 1982 by Atari, designed and programmed by Ed Logg. And other people involved included Mark Cerny and David Snyder. And by the way, what's interesting is on the high score table, if you make it to the high score table, some of the default initials, there's FXL, which refers to Franz Lanzinger, who... Uh, program many things for Atari and outside of Atari, including Tubin for the NES. And uh, Doug Snyder, D-U-G, his initials are on there. He was an engineer on the arcade Tetris. FXL was also in the game Crystal Castles, the arcade yes. game. And uh, let's see, DCB, which, okay, now is her name pronounced Donna Bailey or Donna Bailey? Because it's spelled D-O-N-A. I don't know. But she designed Centipede. And uh, her initials are in the high score table. Let's just cut to the chase. Everybody knows about Centipede. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know about Centipede, welcome to the world. There is somebody in a really weird mask who's about to chop something off your belly button in a moment. But uh, so I'm not going to talk about how to play the game. I mean, Millipede, if you can play Centipede, then you know how to play Millipede, except Millipede does have a lot of enhancements. First of all, I have not been able to officially verify this, but several sources say that the original title of Millipede was Centipede Deluxe, but Atari decided to not go with that name because the word deluxe seems to almost have a curse. Atari themselves had a problem with Asteroids Deluxe. Space Invaders Deluxe, even though it was an Atari game, wasn't exactly the biggest hit of the century. So they're like, you know what, let's avoid that word deluxe. So they called the game Millipede. At least that's the story that I heard. Now, ways that Millipede is similar to Centipede, you have to shoot at a 12-segmented bug. There are mushrooms on the playfield, and it takes four shots to destroy a mushroom. The mushrooms can be poisoned, which, if the segmented bug touches, will fall down the screen toward you, or toward... Well, maybe not toward you if you're not in that same space, of course. But you you know what I'm saying here. If you lose a life, you get five bonus points for every mushroom that was somehow tainted, either partially shot or poisoned. Those are pretty much the ways that Millipede is similar to Centipede, other than the control panel, which consists of a trackball on the right, fire button on the left. I like to say that Millipede is kind of like Centipede on steroids. There's so much more to it. First of all, the Millipede that you're shooting at moves a lot faster than the Centipede. You have additional enemies. You have spiders, just like you do in Centipede, except later on, you'll see more than one spider in the 
play field. In fact, once you reach 100,000 points, you might see up to eight spiders generate at the beginning of an attack wave. And that can be fun. And by the way, when you do get that many spiders, the millipede will have fewer segments. For example, if you have eight spiders on the screen, the millipede will have eight fewer segments. It'll only have four segments. There are bees. A bee is basically the flea and centipede. It's the same exact thing. It falls straight down, drops off some mushrooms, and it requires two hits to kill. There is an earwig. Earwigs, ooh! Which is basically just the scorpion with a different sprite, really. It'll run across the screen at some point after the millipede has fewer than 11 segments and any mushroom that it crosses will be poisoned. There is an inchworm, which also doesn't appear until the millipede has fewer than 11 segments. And uh, those are easy to spot. They just go straight across the screen, kind of toward the bottom. They're not far enough down in the bottom that you can get in any danger of being killed by an inchworm. But if you destroy an inchworm, the gameplay slows down, except for your character, who is now an archer, by the way. Fun fact about the character, look at the archer character in Millipede mm -hmm. and look at the firing cannon in Demon Attack. Tell me they're not the same. Oh, yeah. yeah. They do look mm -hmm. the same. Although I, I, can see why, uh, I can see why Millipede, uh, they say that's an archer, though, because... Man. Those are arrows, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also Millipede introduces a dragonfly, which may appear after the Millipede has fewer than 10 body segments. And it flies back and forth in a zigzag pattern, and it will leave mushrooms in its path. And there's also a mosquito. Uh, mosquitoes are quite interesting little characters. There are those little skinny things that fly diagonally down, and uh, if they reach the end of the screen, they'll ricochet the other direction. Mosquitoes will appear at some point after the millipede has fewer than nine segments, and if you shoot a mosquito, it causes the entire playfield to bump up one little notch. Oh, cool. Which could, which could be pretty helpful. But uh, yeah, that, those are the uh, new things, in, or at least the new enemies in Millipede. Uh, and also something I should mention, since uh, the mushrooms do bump up one level every time you shoot a mosquito... There's also a beetle that appears on the screen. It'll come out from the bottom. John Paul George Oringo. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> it'll come out from the bottom from one side of the screen and move its way across. And then it'll go up at some point, uh, usually when you're in the way. And then it'll go back across again. So it basically forms kind of a S or a Z in its path. If you shoot a beetle, then the playfield gets bumped down toward you. All the mushrooms get bumped down one level. The beetle has an interesting property in that if the beetle touches a flower, that mushroom turns into a flower. And flowers cannot be destroyed. Well, at least you cannot destroy the flowers in the game Millipede, but a spider can. If a spider goes over a flower or a mushroom, it might destroy that flower or mushroom. And actually, something about the flower, the flowers can actually be very handy for aiming devices. Uh, if you're trying to shoot, like say, just one little segment and uh, there's only a short distance between you and the flower, all you have to do is just keep repeatedly firing into the flower until the uh, millipede segment crosses paths and then zap, you uh, knock it out. Oh, okay. 
In fact, that's a that's that's a kind of a holdover strategy from centipede. If you uh, if you're careful and you don't, you can use that same strategy with a with a mushroom and millipede or centipede too. Just know that it'll be destroyed after four shots. Speaking of strategies, it's because that the play field of mushrooms kind of goes up and down that the tunneling strategy I talked about in our centipede episode, where you basically shoot a tunnel of mushrooms up the middle of the screen, that really is not going to be helpful in millipede. I think some people do use it to some kind of success, but it's not quite as helpful because of the constant motion back and forth. And uh, there's one other feature of millipede that's worth noting is that uh, you have DDT cans, cans, you have DDT tanks at your disposal. You might remember, well, I don't know, this was before my time, but uh, some of you might remember DDT was a pesticide that was banned sometime in the 60s. And I can now hear Andy Ryerson scream, it's also a pro wrestling move. (laughs) Yeah. You can use those DDT tanks to your advantage in multiple ways. For one thing, if you shoot a DDT tank, you automatically get 600 points. And anything you destroy with a DDT tank, if you... You shoot a DDT tank, there'll be an explosion and a little cloud of poison left in its wake for a few seconds. And anything that that cloud of poison destroys, you get double the point value. For example, if it destroys a spider that would normally award you 600 points, the DDT destroying it awards you 1,200 points. I find the DDT tanks to be quite handy if they're way up at the top of the screen because if you time your shot right, you can wipe out an entire millipede with one shot of the DDT, and that makes things a lot easier to deal with. Also, there's an extra feature of millipede that you don't have in centipede. You have swarm waves, which means that uh, you will be attacked by a whole bunch butt-ton of uh, certain types of enemies. For example, you might see a big, huge shower of bees come down on you. Those things are hard to deal with, by the way. Shower, uh, DD- shower of Bees is actually my uh, my my second album. The title of my second album. Just What was yeah. your first one again? I, I don't remember. Oh. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's my a, second album. I always that, titled the second one no, first. No offense, but that's a lame title for a first album. Yeah, thank you. So in the swarm waves, I found it especially handy with the fleas. In a swarm wave, shoot a DDT tank, it'll make it easier to destroy uh, at least some of the enemies that fall down. I usually do that on the B swarm levels. And the thing about the swarm levels is when you destroy the enemies in a swarm levels, every additional enemy you destroy gives you an additional 100 points. And I think it tops out at 1,000 points. And those DDT tanks in those cases can really help you rack up a lot of points, maybe even get you an, a, an additional uh, bonus life, which on the default settings, you get a bonus life, an extra life, every 15,000 points. And um, I don't know what else to say about it. Oh, one other difference uh, is uh, just more of a display difference. The entire portion of the screen that the archer can use has a different background color. It's like a light gray or a dark grayish kind of color, which is kind of handy. One strategy that I like to use in this game, and of course you should listen to me because I have, what, the uh, the 50th top score on Orcade.com <laughs> out of about 54. Better than uh, mine. Uh, I, I like to clear away the mushrooms in that little section of the screen. By the way, um, I did forget to mention the uh, the ports of Liberator for home consoles. Aren't there ports of uh, Liberator for home consoles and home computers? Nothing in the classic era. So, there you go. Ah, crap. 
one thing with uh, with Millipede, I do love that the player area is a is a shade of gray uh, versus Centipede, where you know you just. I, I like that they they you actually have like a you can see the area that you're in because it uh, because sometimes you might in the original Centipede you, you action gets so fast sometimes that you, you like lose track of how far you can go or whatever. At least with this, you get have some sort of warning. So I do like that. Huh. Anyway, so um, hey, I might as well talk about the rest of the scoring. Yeah, uh, it's very well. similar. Very similar to Centipede. If you destroy one of the body segments in a millipede, you get ten points, and you get a hundred points for destroying a head segment. The spider actually can be worth anywhere any multiple of three hundred between three hundred and twelve hundred points, inclusive. And that it depends on how close you are to the spider. And man, if that thing. If you get 1,200 points for destroying a spider, that means that you are so close to dying. The earwig is worth 1,000 points, just like the scorpion is in Centipede. Now, my sources are saying that the DDT tank, the bomb, will score you 800 points. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's actually 600, but hey, I don't know. What do I know? I've only been playing this game <laughs> since 1983. So you get 500 points for killing a dragonfly, 400 points for killing a mosquito, 300 points for killing a beetle, 200 points for killing a bee, 100 points for killing an inchworm. And um, if you destroy a mushroom, you get a point. And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, the point values for all the enemies, that's the point value they start at in the swarm levels, the swarm waves, when they all attack you. And by the way, in addition to swarm waves, there are what's called attack waves. And the cycle of attack waves, there are 12 attack waves. And uh, every new attack wave, the millipede has one fewer body segment. Huh. So just kind of like with centipede, actually. Well, it's not so much that it has one fewer segment. It's more like the segment separates and it's... Okay. All the segments are there. They're just not together. Kind of like centipede. But like centipede, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how that all works. Um, I should mention the home versions. There are a little, there are a few more home versions of Millipede than there were for um, Liberator. Uh, of course, Atari 2600 had it, and it's virtually identical to, to Centipede on the 2600. They did uh, just, really a good job with, uh, they did. with they Millipede did. on the 2600 because... It, it, it's centipede. It, 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 let's let's be honest. Uh, millipede is basically centipede plus. I guess super exciting new centipede plus, or exciting new centipede plus. And um, there's and a the lot more th- to it than that, though. But well, yeah, there is. But I mean, on its surface, it seems like that. But they they really did a good job of cramming all the features into the 2600 version. I will say, I think the gameplay is maybe a little more choppy, uh, but it's still not bad. I have played the uh, the uh, 5200 prototype, and I think the XE, uh, the the XE 8-bit home computer prototype of uh, of Millipede, and those are choppy as hell, uh, almost virtually unplayable in my humble opinion. Hmm. But uh, really? the, yeah, the 2600 version is really good. Oh, the 2600 version also has a hidden message in it that I don't oh? think you can actually see in the game itself, but it's in the source code. The message says Dave Stogus loves Beatrice Hablig. Uh it's kind of it's kind of embedded in the uh, in the code. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. And speaking of that, uh, the NES also had Millipede. Yes, and I got to say it is a. I played Millipede when I the during the very brief time I had an NES a couple of years ago. 
it looked really bizarre, but I gotta say it actually was pretty well done. It actually was really? very playable. Yeah. Even with the NES default control uh, with the D pad on the NES, including the bone controller. So yeah, it was, I was actually huh. impressed by that. Yeah. I generally tried, I generally shied away from like Qbert millipede joust gyrus on, uh, on the NES because it just seemed to me like they took way too many liberties with some of those games, but you're saying, uh, but you're saying millipede was pretty good. Yeah, it was very playable too. Huh. I was, which really surprised me. I was like, "Wow, I should not be able to play this as well." But hey, what what do I know? I'm just I'm just a podcaster, so yeah. And uh, let me see, zubity 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 zubity. Uh, Millipede was also out for uh, Sinclair's ZX or ZX Spectrum, actually. And I believe that's really all the home ports. I think somebody started working on a Homebrew 7800 version of it, hacking a Centipede, but I don't think they ever finished it, unfortunately. The 7800 Centipede is really good. I would have mm-hmm. loved to have seen it turned into Millipede. Oh, me too. Yeah, but, the, hey. yeah, the, yeah, I've already talked about it in depth, but if you have a 7800 and you don't have Centipede, get it now. There's also a trackball hack for it, too. So mm-hmm. if you have a workable trackball for for well i'm not going to get into all that detail but for most atari made home trackballs the trackball hack of centipede should work very well uh, there's one other thing i wanted to mention about millipede the mushrooms have like bizarre properties with them and um, the mushrooms actually grow and die off during the course of the game and there's it, there's uh they use what they call the game of life algorithm to determine that so here, here's what determines how like the life cycle of a mushroom. Uh, if a mushroom has fewer than two neighbors, it dies of loneliness. Oh. Uh, if it has more than three neighbors, it dies from overcrowding. <laughs> a mushroom that has two or three neighbors will live for another generation. If there's an empty space that's neighbored by three mushrooms, that empty space will sprout a mushroom. If there's a mushroom that's adjacent to a DDT tank, it will become poisoned. Oh, interesting. If there's a non-poisoned mushroom next to a poisoned mushroom, the non-poisoned mushroom will die. And flowers will not die. Again, they cannot be destroyed. But they are counted as neighbors in the above-mentioned algorithm, in the aforementioned algorithm, as I should say. If a flower gets pushed, say, off uh, the top of the screen... Okay, due to, you know, shooting the whatever. But then you shoot the other bug, I can't remember which one, which brings the screen back down again. Is that flower the, uh, gone? The ladybug. Or the ladybug. Is that you know, flower then know. gone? I don't know. I really don't know. That's That would be something worth checking is, out. Yeah, I bet it it's be probably gone. I never really, I don't know if I ever survived long enough to actually push <laughs> a flower that far up the screen, though. I don't know if that's possible. I imagine it probably is. I'm sure it probably is. Hmm, That might be something I'll have to pay attention to. I I play Millipede a lot when I go to an arcade. I I love that. Oh, speaking of which, there are three arcades where in the last few years I've been playing Millipede. There's uh, Underground Retrocade, Galloping Ghost, and twice I went to um, Silverball in Asbury Park, New Jersey. All three of those have completely different dip switch settings. Oh, wow. I think Retrocade has their set on default, which gives you three lives with a extra life every fifteen every 15, with an extra life every fifteen thousand points, and it lets you choose the starting point. 
because a lot of Atari games around that time, you could actually start at a certain level, mm-hmm. depending on... And uh, the higher you score in a certain game, the higher the level you can start on the next time you play a game. So Millipede is no exception to that. At um, Galloping Ghost, they have it set to tournament mode, which means that the um, Millipede head settings and the enemy settings are set to hard, and you don't get bonus lives. And um, at Silver Ball, though, and I, I know I mentioned this when I in uh, our first episode after the first time I went to Silver Ball, the way they have it set, at least the times that I've been there, they have their set so that it's basically just Centipede Plus, really. They have it set so that you get a bonus life every 12,000 points, and once you use up those first DDT tanks, you never see any more ever again, and you hardly see any of the other enemies except spiders and bees and earwigs in other words spiders fleas and scorpions so basically they basically turn theirs into a slightly more advanced looking centipede and it's not really that much fun sorry silver ball but yeah you dropped the bomb on that and it wasn't (laughs) unfortunately i'm not saying i won't play millipede next time i'm at silver ball oh but hey and what's interesting is they have their centipedes set at a more difficult setting, they have theirs set at 20,000 points for a bonus life, which I think Izzy's arcade bar also has that same setting. I think Izzy's also has a millipede, but I'm not sure. And Izzy's is a new uh, beercade that just opened up in Niles, Illinois, not too long ago. But speaking of all these places where I've played millipede, uh, Jimmy G, where did you first see and or play millipede? G, take a guess. No, oh, too late. Uh, the Aladdin's Damn. Castle, Louis Juliet Mall. Same here, except for the Louis Juliet Mall part. For me, it was Lincoln Mall. Lincoln Mall. Lincoln Mall. Yeah, I first played it at Lincoln Mall, and I always liked it. I I never lasted long, but I always felt that it was a token well spent. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah the I, thing is, like, it's really weird because like going from Millipede over to Centipede, it's like whoa, it's culture shock because Millipede moves so much faster. Mm-hmm. And it's much more frantic. And you go over to Centipede, you're you're kind of looking at your watch like, okay, any time now, something something happens. Somebody attack me, please. I always preferred Millipede over Centipede just because of the, the of the variety of stuff uh, that happens and um, and, and, and the variety. pace of it, uh, pace of it as well. And um, Centipede, it's just basically it's the same thing over and over and over. And uh, one thing you cannot fault Millipede for is, is its variety. There is a, enough. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, enough to stuff to screw you up for the rest of your life. Uh, to lift a phrase from Steve Martin, and um, oh, by the way, um, uh, side note: um, if you haven't seen it on Netflix, there's a uh, uh, they have their current they currently have a show on called it's a, it was a it's a concert film, Martin Short and Steve Martin, a night you will, or a night you will forget or something like that. Uh, watch that; it is highly entertaining. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, sidetrack, but, uh, yeah, I, this, this game, I think looks better. Uh, it's called an evening. You will forget an evening. You will forget. That's it. Yeah. Uh, watch that. It's amazingly good. Um, I can't stand Martin short though. It, it's, it's seriously, it's really good. I love Martin short, but, um, yeah, I like, I love millipede and I guess I'm an evening. You will forget for the rest of your life. There we go. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I should give my score for it since we've already since we gave the score for Liberator early. Hey, why not? Sure, uh, I'm giving this one a four. 
Um, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, the I thing is, like, like I don't know whether I prefer this over Centipede or what, because I think each has its own merits. Mm-hmm. Like Centipede, there, I, th- I think it's a lot easier to develop a good strategy, but Millipede, you, there's it's because there's so much, there's so much happening and so many changes happening so quickly that you can't really focus on just one strategy. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the action makes it so much worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And I, I, I really do like the action so much. I love especially that you can destroy a millipede really, really quickly just by holding down the fire button. Mm-hmm. But centipede, you don't really want to hold down the fire button when you don't have to because you only you, in each game you're only limited to uh one shot on the screen at a time. And that can really come back to bite you, so you don't want to hold down that fire button. Millipede, it's a little more forgiving in that regard, I you think. Know, speaking of the shots in Millipede, I don't know if you brought this up, but this is a real minor, tiny difference between Centipede and Millipede that I just love in Millipede. In Centipede, when you hit the button, your bullet just goes straight up. It's just like a, a straight rectangle. In Millipede, it kind of like, it, it, when it shoots from your shooter, it kind of it, it goes up and it kind of develops like a, like the tip of an arrow as it goes up. It's like a little bit of animation there. It's really yeah. neat. I love that. That's huh. a, that's a I nice little touch. Never really thought of that, but yeah, absolutely. All right. Since you mentioned scores, might as well talk about other people's scores on, um, 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 um what the hell's the game we're talking about right now? Millipede. 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 Okay. Uh, since I started with arcade.com for the previous game, I'm going to start with, uh, twin galaxies for this one. Marathon settings, uh, which uh, once again, it's the default factory settings, extra life every 15,000 points, millipede head, beetle and spider are all easy. And the mode that lets you choose which level to start with is on, uh, Donald Hayes, who is also the world record holder for centipede also has millipede 10,627,331, which was verified via video on February 7th, 2005. And a fun fact, he actually, Donald Hayes, released a couple of uh, DVD sets documenting his high score, and he sold it for a short time. And uh, um, let's see, Donald Hayes also has the tournament high score. Again, no extra life with the millipede head, the beetle, and the spider set to hard, and you cannot select which level you start with. His score was 495,126. And that was verified May 31st, 2005, also via video. And uh, Twin Galaxies also tracks single archer, meaning that you use the tournament settings, the hard mode, no extra life, etc., and you're only allowed one life. And uh, Timothy Hedinger has the record on that with 219,781, which was verified December 8th, 2017, via the Twin Galaxies scoring and adjudication process, I believe that is meaning that a lot of Twin Galaxies users watched the video and agreed that he indeed did perform that game legitimately. And let's see if we flip over to Orcade.com. Marathon settings, once again, Donald Hayes, but his Orcade.com is only 1,461,253, and that was performed March 13th, 2009 at Richie Knuckles. Uh, by the way, my marathon high score mm-hmm. is 179,571. So uh, almost, I'm, I'm just right behind Donald Hayes on that one. And I got that score on June 16th, 2018, the most recent time I went to Underground Retrocade. The Orcade.com record for tournament settings is held by Duke Dang, or Duke Dang, I think it's actually supposed to be. Pre- I've heard him pronounce it both ways, by the way. 
And um, his score was 338,578, which he performed October 10th, 2006 at Galloping Ghost. And uh, my tournament record, 92,997, which I performed January 31st, 2016 at Galloping Ghost Arcade. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <sighs> That's what I had to say about yeah. that there. Um, and how... How about you? Do you have any um, additional thoughts about uh, Millipede? I do not. I I pretty much said everything I need to say about this game. I really like it a lot, and uh, I prefer it to Centipede for the the aforementioned reasons that I yeah. gave. So, and like I said, I love just like that little arrow thing. That's hey, by the way, neat. seriously, like you, you, do you really need to behold what it's like to start the game with eight spiders? So really do that. Like keep playing millipede until mm-hmm. you score high enough that you can start the game with eight spiders. Like just hit the track ball all the way to the right until it, until it's, I think it, I think the highest score it lets you start on is something like 300,000. Okay. So do that and like, keep, just do use a save state. If you have to, it's, it's quite the sight to behold and uh, good, spiders. good luck, not losing a life before you kill all those spiders. It's possible, <laughs> but it's very difficult. I will definitely give that a try at some point. Yeah, so, um, hey, and um, should we just close the door on talking about video games for now? Yeah, sure, why not? All right, so um, I do done believe we do done have some people we should thank, right? I do done think so. Oh, good. So um, I'm going to go back to the old school alphabetical order. Alphabetical. And I want to thank the following folks. We both wish to thank the following folks who have generously donated their money to help help us do something with this podcast god knows what but uh thank you atari bites rory coleman michael d'angelo kyle etter tim foley richard grounds art guglielmo nate lockhart new balance stores phoenix greg polander jonas rulo d alex keith sheehan pj Steele, steve steiner which I believe is German for Steve Stoner, uh, Underground Retrocade, Danke. and Richard Valdez. Shane. And as always, we extend a heartfelt thanks to our friend Steve Tui at Tuiville.com for carrying our podcast, T-O-D-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. And uh, if you uh, would like to be added to the list of people who sponsor us via Patreon, well, keep listening, Charlie, because our booth announcer will tell you how to do that. Indeed, our booth announcer will. Yes. And uh, what are we doing for our next episode? Well, um, just a programming note. It's going to be a little bit longer uh, until the next episode because, uh, you know, one of us have is going to be gone for a little while. It's not me because I'm broke. But... Um, and I'm not. You know. Well, yeah, that's true. But uh, aren't we all, though? <laughs> We're broken spirit. It just doesn't stop me. Well, it's more like we already paid for most of the most of it, which is why we're broke. But oh, anyway. there you go. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, we're going to be a little bit later than normal for the next episode, just so you're aware. But yeah, we will you be won't back. hear from us again probably till August, just so as you know. Yeah. So uh, the next two games we're going to be talking about are uh, Quantum. And Quantum, okay. Kicks. And kicks. kicks. By the way, what was the theme for this particular episode? Oh, episode yeah. 79. Um, the only thing I could come up with was sequels to Atari arcade classics. And like I said, some most people don't really consider Liberator a sequel to Missile Command. I do. 
because it's just like it's m- hard like not to. Yeah, it's hard not to. And the thing is, like they do have. There's a lot more you can go with. They're both Atari games. They're both trackball games. And they both and have level select. And if they are indeed sequels, then they are sequels that do not use the name of the, the original, original game. Game in its yeah. So yep, there you go. So yeah, next episode, Quantum and Kicks. That will be our episode number eight zero eighty zero. Keeping wow. score. So I think I should have bid everybody a D. Don't you have an oxymoron, or can I say one? No, that's my thing. You can say one, but I have to say one. Okay, well I'll say mine. Dodge Ram. I used that was my first one. Oh damn it! Yeah. Okay, we'll do a different one. Butthead. Ooh, good one. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, everybody. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. <laughs>